Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Excellent. Well, it's great to have you here. And uh, we have a lot of you here this morning in this room. But as you know, we're one church, one message, many expressions. And so uh, during this service in particular, we're welcoming some others as well. We want to say hi to our campus out in Milton who are, we're joining live right now. So would you say, hey, Milton? Hey, guys, good to see you. And uh, we'll hear a little bit from Pastor Rick in this message a little later on uh, by uh, the video screens. But uh, it's great to have them joining us. And also, if you're in the chapel right now, we want to welcome you or over in our video cafe here in this building. Uh, or if you're watching online, we especially want to welcome you to Portico today as well. It's just great to be able to have so many different expressions of our church in so many different uh, ways and, and locales. And so we welcome you today. Take out your Bibles this morning. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are ready to help you with that. If you'd like to borrow one of ours, just lift your hand up nice and high, and they're going to come and take care of that for you. Thank you, ushers, for serving us in that way. And you can just kind of flag them down as they come. We're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and uh, that's where we're going to start. I, I hope that you have some plans to get out and enjoy this beautiful day. Uh, later on today. It's going to be gorgeous. But I want to thank you for taking the time this morning to check in with us and to come and be a part of our service today. And uh, we're in the third week of a series together called Renovate. And we're talking about ways that we can, you know, renovate our lives this spring. And that really means, you know, ways that we can take and apply some biblical principles to certain areas of our lives and to make adjustments that will help to improve those areas and will help us to better manage those areas going forward. We began by, you know, telling you that whenever you do a renovation, there are some steps that you need to take. You need to, you know, begin with the right blueprint and build on the, on the proper foundation that you need to, uh, you know, ex- consult the experts, the right experts, and, and uh, use and source the right materials. And then last week, Pastor Doug and Pastor Rick, via video, talked to you about relationships. And uh, they had those, those great little phrases that you can hopefully remember, you know, step up, speak up, hold up, or, you know, shut up. Sorry if that's a bad word at your house, but, but you know, patience, sort of learning to hold our tongue. And then the last one was open up, you know, be authentic. And I just want to say, if you missed either of those two messages, you sort of really need to go back and kind of watch them. So check out our website, porticocanada.ca, or uh, you can download the Portico app on your smart device and you can watch the, uh, the videos there as well. We want to just encourage you to watch or listen to those messages if you miss them. Today we're going to continue in our series together, and uh, we are talking about this morning a very crucial subject. It's a subject that is important to every single person in this room. It's also a subject that can evoke in us some very strong emotions because of how integral it is to the very core of our lives. Emotions like, you know, excitement and happiness when we have it. And on the flip side, high levels of anxiety, stress, and even anger and depression when we don't. And I'm talking about money. I'm talking about our personal finances. And before you, you know, check out because you've heard it all before, because you've heard somebody say, you know, all the church is ever, you know, all they ever talk about is money, at least give me a chance to explain. Can you do that this morning? Okay, good. Some of you know this, but if you're here and you're not, you know, normally a student of the Bible, you're not a reader of the Bible, you may not realize that Jesus talked about money more than he did about any other subject. Did you know that? He talked about money more than he talked about love. 
He talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. And so if we, if we realize and we understand this, this fact, then it's got to cause us to sort of pause and ask ourselves, well, why? Now, why would Jesus feel that this was such an important subject? And one of the most important things Jesus ever said about money was that it influences and it impacts at the very core of, of who we are. He warned about investing in temporary, earthly things because he wanted us to understand something very important. He said this, he said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. That's in Matthew 6 and verse 21. The the message paraphrase says it this way, the place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being and end up being. That, I think, is very telling. You see, Jesus knows. Jesus knows that our hearts follow our money and not the other way around. I think we think sometimes, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give to the things that move my heart, that touch my heart. That, you know, but, but generosity doesn't just happen overnight. Our hearts actually follow our money. So if you, if you give your money somewhere, you're going to be interested in that. If you want to know, you know what's most important to you, Just go into your online bank statement and see where you spend the most money. And that's going to give you a little bit of a glimpse into what your heart is after. And so Jesus knows this. Money is tied to and it influences the very core of who we are. And that in itself is enough of a reason for us to be talking about it today. But there's another reason as well. And I want us to look at some important Canadian statistics. That's hard to say if you're talking fast. Some important Canadian statistics, these are from the year 2012. And uh, so the infographic on the screen, it comes from an article from Faith Today, a very recent article. You're actually going to talk about some of these articles in your growth groups this week. But look at that center column, 71. That number represents the percentage of Canadian families who are carrying some kind of household debt, 71%. Look down below that number. $60,100, that's the median debt of indebted Canadian families. Median does not mean average. It means when you take the whole list of of debts and you go to the middle of the list, that's the median. I would would presume that the average, because this includes uh, houses, it includes mortgage, the average is probably higher in certain areas than in others. So $60,100, that number has increased by 64%. That's the number right below there has increased by 64% from 1999 until 2012. Here's a couple other stats that are not on the screen. And this is a troubling one. The average Canadian, the average Canadian owes $1.64 for every $1 of disposable income that they earn. $1.64 for every dollar they earn. Can you see where that might be a bit of a problem? Does anybody see that? You earn a dollar and you spend a dollar sixty-four. That's not going to work long term, is it? No. So there's this there's this real problem. Consumer debt average for Canadians in 2015. This is debt not including household mortgages. Okay, twenty-one thousand dollars one hundred twenty-one thousand one hundred and sixty-four dollars is the average debt that a Canadian household is carrying in consumer after mortgage debt. So think about this. Money is, is at the center of every political campaign, well, at least here in North America anyway, but I, I assume in other parts of the world as well. 
So, so you think about the three things that you hear about when political parties are running for office. They talk about taxes, they talk about jobs, and they talk about money, right? Those are the three, the big three. And so money is a big issue in our world today. And these Canadian family statistics represent a cross-section of our society and therefore of us who as a part of their reality struggle with the area of finance. And so we want to just take a few minutes and talk to you about that today. 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you have your Bibles. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 10. And we're going to read uh, these verses together. I'll read, you can follow along. 1 Timothy 6, beginning at verse 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But we, if we have food and we have clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many griefs. So take out your notes this morning. I'm going to give you four practices, four practices for renovating your finances. If you're following along on the Portico app, the notes are there on that front page. If you click on uh, the very top, the very top image, you can follow along on those notes and fill in the blanks. Four practices for renovating your finances. And the first one is this, cultivate contentment. Cultivate contentment. You see, at the heart of the money issue is this idea of contentment. And of course, the opposite of contentment, which very quickly becomes greed. Contentment versus greed. Oh, I know, we, we don't like to call it that. Nobody wants to consider themselves, you know, greedy. But let's face it, that's the struggle. Paul doesn't say in our text that money is bad or that, or that having, you know, lots of money is bad. He doesn't say that. What he says is that there is a real danger when we don't live a contented lifestyle, a contented lifestyle, because the discontent, they're never happy. They're never happy with what they have. They always want more. And the drive for more can too easily become all consuming. I want more money. I want more stuff. I want more status. I want more recognition. And so they make it their goal to get rich, to have lots of money, or at the very least, to have lots of stuff. Sometimes, even stuff they can't afford, which we're going to get to in just a few minutes, because that leads to this other problem of debt. But there's another danger of discontentment, and that is this, that we can lose perspective. We can forget where it all comes from. The writer of the ancient wisdom literature in Proverbs penned these words. He said in Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. In the New Testament, we read this in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of of money and be content with what you have because God has said never will I leave you and never will I forsake you the secret to being content is understanding that God is in control of it all 
And that as long as we have a relationship with God, that he is going to take care of us. Contentment rests in trust in God. Contentment happens because we trust that God is going to take care of us. And so we need to understand that if we are discontent, if we don't live a contented lifestyle, we are actually losing sight, we're losing perspective of who really is in control of it all. Epicurus, a Greek philosopher who lived a few hundred years before the time of Jesus, said this, nothing is enough for the man to whom enough is too little. Nothing is enough to the man to whom enough is too little. Paul said this in our text. He said, we brought nothing into this world. We're not taking anything out of it. We arrived with nothing. And so it seems only fitting that we will leave with nothing. And then he adds that all we need are food and clothing. And we should learn to be content with that. Right? Food, clothing, shelter maybe. These are the basics of life. And if we have these things, Paul said we should learn to be content and then take anything else as it comes. Mary Hunt in her book, Seven Money Rules for Life, describes this battle between contentment and greed. Contentment says, I am grateful for what I have. I want what I have. And I have enough to satisfy. That's contentment. Greed says, more is not enough. I deserve even more. I I want it all, and I don't care what it takes to get it. That's what greed looks like. And so she sort of wraps it up, and she says this, contentment and greed cannot cohabitate. They cannot exist at the same time. One of them has to go. Greed must die in order for contentment to live. Ecclesiastes, go back to to the ancient wisdom literature, 5 and verse 10 says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. This too is greed is meaningless. So in order for us to get a handle on this, on this money issue, we have to learn to cultivate contentment in our lives. And cultivating contentment requires that we understand and that we accept this concept of enough. What is enough? And what that means is? That we learn to live with what we have and we learn to live within our means. Doesn't mean that we can never have aspirations for anything better. All it means is that we are content with what we have now and that we plan for the things that we need and we exercise delayed gratification for the things that we want. It's okay to want some stuff, but you need to wait until you can afford it to get that stuff. That's what delayed gratification means. It's just a fancy way of saying we don't buy anything we can't afford. That leads to our second practice for renovating our finances, which is we need to learn to have a balanced budget, balanced budget. And Pastor Rick is going to talk to us about that right now. She take my money. Well, I'm in need. Yes, it's a trifling friend indeed. Balancing the budget is not an easy thing to do. Most of us have expenses that go far beyond what our income is. 
at the very least, there's lots of cool stuff we'd like to buy, and we don't have the discretionary income in which to make those purchases. We've already heard how the average Canadian spends an extra 60 cents on every dollar that they earn. So this pattern of spending more than we make, it created a market for payday loan stores to appear on the Canadian field back in the 90s, because it's nice to be able to turn to a place that will give us money when we don't have money, as opposed to those mean old places that don't give us money when we don't have any. A little research into payday loan use is quite shocking. Did you know that there are over 2 million Canadians who get a payday loan or a cash advance every year? And their loans total over $300 million. The debt on those loans actually totals over $1 billion. The average customer is between 18 and 34, and they have a regular salaried income. Most often, they're an urban resident with some post-secondary education. To be honest, that sounds like about a third of our church. And not that there's anything wrong about using a service like this. Our culture demands that we go into debt, and not just for things like houses and cars. The cost of living around here is always going up and up and up, and we're having to borrow for simple things like groceries or household repairs. But we want to take a look at what the Bible says about borrowing and budgets. Having money is better than not having money, agreed? Given the choice, none of us would choose to throw money away. So why are people using cash day loans? A penny loan of $300 can have up to $60 of interest, which works out to an interest rate of an unbelievable 546%. Now that same loan on a line of credit would only cost you 4 or $5 on that first payment. We're literally throwing money away because it's a fix-it-now solution. We filmed this video on a three-block radius where there were actually four different payday loan stores. There were hard-working people showing up to get money out instantly instead of finding a less costly way to meet their expenses. So we got to find a way to make our budgets balance. It's an uncomfortable process. At the same time, it's a very necessary process. Spending is a lot more fun, but we don't want to end up every month getting to the end when our numbers don't match and our expenses are more than our income. Let's look at what the book of Proverbs has to say about that.
So having that Christ-centered view of budgeting, allowing the Spirit to help us make the right decisions is the way that we want to go. Once we figured out how to be content, we don't need to live with excess. Once we figured out how to balance our budget, there's a next step that we want to make. And I'm going to turn it back to the communicators in the room to go on to point three. Thanks, Pastor Rick. Can you all say thanks, Pastor Rick? There you go, Rick. Um, it is this battle that Rick talks about, the battle to balance our budget. It's one that we simply must win. We have to win. And we know that this is a problem for many young Canadians. That demographic that Rick talked about, that's representative of about a third of our church, you know, we don't, we don't assume that a third of Portico are struggling with taking payday loans. You're all too smart for that. But we do realize that, that this is a fact, that these statistics hold true and that this is a real struggle for Canadians. And we want people here to know, if you are struggling with this kind of debt, if you're struggling with this kind of issue, you've gotten yourselves into a situation where, where your finances are stressful and debt is an issue, then we have a very helpful tool for you when it comes to the area of budgeting and managing your money. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later in the service, but it's, it's uh, called the CAP Money Course. April 28th is the first class. It runs for three weeks. I just want to give you that information so that you can write it down, the, the infos in your bulletin as to how to sign up. And so we want, want you to have the tools to be able to learn how to build and how to balance a budget. I love what, what Dave Ramsey says about budgeting. He said a budget is just telling your money where to go, right? You need to tell your money where to go. And people say money talks. All mine ever says is goodbye. So, so we need to understand. We need to, we need to tell money where to go because it's going regardless. And so just jot those things down. And uh, that's going to take us to the next, the next uh, thought that Pastor Rick mentioned. We're, we're not only, you know, looking at, at cultivating contentment, balancing a budget. We also need to find a way to downsize debt, to downsize debt. And so, you know, we've established already that debt levels in Canada are at epidemic proportions, epidemic proportions. A Financial Post article in January this year stated that Canadian households are carrying the biggest debt-to-income loads in all of the group of seven or the G7 nations, and they are projecting that that rate, that burden is going to get even heavier. So let's get something straight. We need to talk about debt. There is such a thing as good debt and bad debt. Not all debt is bad. And furthermore, there's nothing, you know, morally wrong with going into debt. We, we all do things, you know, kind of in the heat of the moment. Uh, and, and we feel like we got a need and we got to meet this need right now. But in many cases, going into debt is very unwise. And so when we talk about downsizing your debt, we are, you know, not trying to beat you up or make you feel bad if you find yourselves in debt and in this situation. We simply want you to know that there is a, there is a better way. There's a better way to handle this finance issue. So we need to understand something. First of all, debt trades on your future. Debt trades on your future. It has an impact on the time that you have left. Proverbs 22 and 7 says that the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. How many of you know we are slave to those people that we borrow money from? That statement comes every month. The borrower is slave to the lender. And when we borrow money for any reason, then we are committed to pay it back. And so when you talk about good debt, that has to mean debt that is helping you to make an investment in your future. 
So it's debt that helps you maybe purchase something that it will hold its value or even increase in value. So usually when we talk about a mortgage, we talk about buying a home, then that's good debt. You're borrowing money to one day own your own home, and you're also hoping that if you have to sell your home for some reason, you'll not only get the, the money that you paid down, but you'll get back all that you have paid up until now, plus enough to pay what you still owe, and even realize a profit on that investment. That's good debt. Maybe you can apply this good debt idea or rationale to a few other things as well, like a college education, for example. Although I encourage every student that I talk to to work in the summer and pay for as much of their school as they can as they go because student debt is hard to get rid of once you graduate. But student debt can be good debt if it gives you the opportunity to make a better income, to, to have a, you know, a better life in that sense. And so you know that what you're borrowing, you'll be able to pay back because of the income you're going to be able to make. Although I, there's just a little warning in there as well. Maybe a car. Maybe when you purchase a car, you could call that good debt. Now, not because it's a good investment, okay? When you buy a car, especially a new car, you finance a new car, you know that when you drive it off the lot, it's worth about 20% less, right? You know that? So, so be careful about financing vehicles. But, but we can call that maybe good debt if it's going to allow us to get back and forth to a job where we are earning income to help support our family. I could see you making a case for that. Although... Uh, there's nothing wrong with buying a good used car that you can afford uh, or that you can sort of lower those payments on and sort of decrease the impact of that kind of debt. So those are kind of some good debt things that maybe you could be involved in. Now, bad debt, on the other hand, is debt you incur for any kind of discretionary spending because there will always be things that we want but that we can't afford to have, won't there? Is there anything you want that you can't afford to have? This is why I ride a Honda and not a Harley, because I can't afford a Harley, okay? And my wife won't let me afford a Harley. So so it's a Honda, not a Harley. We need to make sure that we're not buying things that we can't afford. And our culture plays on this want mentality and even encourages greed in, in many, many ways, okay? They make it so easy. The debt trap is set, and every single one of us is susceptible if we are not careful. College students, as soon as they arrive in residence, get multiple credit card applications in their mailboxes. Did you know that? Yeah, we had to sort of make sure we brainwashed our daughter before she went. You don't open those. You just throw them away, you know? So, so we have to be careful about this. Uh, you need furniture for your house or your apartment, but you have no money? No problem. You can buy now and pay later. Don't pay a cent. No money down. No interest. They, they sort of catch you with that one, don't they? No interest for a year or maybe for two. And we'll even make your first three payments for you. I have no idea how they do some of this stuff. Well, I do. They layer it all into to the back-end payments. So by the time you do start paying for that love seat or that sofa or that nice lazy boy chair, then there, here's the catch. By the time you've sat in it for a year and are already wearing it out, now you start paying it back at 18 or 20 or even 26 or 29% interest. And by the time your furniture is paid for, it'll be worn out and out of date. It'll be those old, you know, 80s colors that nobody has anymore. Compounding interest is great when you're investing, but not so great when you're paying it back. 
And so again, we go to ancient wisdom literature. Proverbs chapter 22 talks about you know, going into debt for things we can't afford. 26 and 27 says this, Do not be one who shakes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. You see, apparently Solomon may have bought that king-sized bed for the master bedroom in the palace on credit at Leon's Don't Pay a Cent event. Right? So the problem with consumer debt and with spending on credit is this. It's a never-ending black hole. When we treat available credit, you know on your credit card statement, you have that, that number that you owe, and then over here there's that other number, available credit. When we treat that like cash and we you know, max out our cards, then all we end up able to do is just pay back the minimum payments. And those are just pointless. I mean, I know. There's a new law, and I know you see that note on your credit card statement every month when it comes. You know the one that says, the minimum payment is this. If all you make is the minimum payment, you will have your loan completely repaid by the year 2085. (laughs) It's exciting, isn't it? 2085, that's crazy. So we need to downsize debt, and we need to eliminate bad debt, okay? Any of that unsecured credit card debt is the worst, and you need a plan to attack it. You say, well, how? How do I, how do I get out? Well, first off, you don't go into more debt to get out of debt. Nobody gets out of debt by borrowing more money or by using a cash advance from one credit card to pay the minimum payment on the other credit card. You see, contrary to a certain leader in Ottawa, you can't get out of debt by spending your way out of debt, Four years, folks. Just four years. That's like trying to dig your way out of a hole. Do you know what happens if you're standing in a hole and you're shoveling dirt out of the bottom and throwing it up over the top? What happens? That hole just gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And so we can't do it that way. So you need a plan. You need a plan. So a systematic plan to attack your debt. Dave Ramsey has one of these, and I think it's the absolute best approach. So I want you to watch this just for a second. So what we do is we take in this example, J.C. Penney's is 150 bucks, the smallest debt. The payment's $15 a month. We're not going to worry about this one. We just pay it off out of the garage sale, right? Have a big garage sale, sell some stuff. Boom, that small debt's gone. Now we take that $15 that we used to pay, and we add it to the $10 payment on Sears. And so now at least we're paying $25 on Sears. But really, if you're gazelle intense, you're going to be paying a lot more than that, aren't you? Say yes. Yes. But at least what you used to pay out in debts, you keep paying. And so the next one is Visa. There's a $500 balance on it. When Sears is paid off, we take that $25 from JCPenney's and Sears. We put that on the $75. Now we're paying at least $100 on Visa. But if we're gazelle intense, we're going to be paying more than that, aren't we? Say yes. yes. Okay. And then we're going to do MasterCard. Now we're paying $100 on that Visa, but when we pay it off, we're going to take that and add it to the $90 that we're paying on the $1,500 MasterCard. Now we're paying $190 on that MasterCard. Are you starting to see that now we're paying almost $200 a month on $1,500? Where I come from, that's like six or seven, eight months there. That sucker's done, right? And so we're starting to get traction here. The snowball's rolling over. It's picking up more snow. You keep going all the way down. You're looking at a $4,000 car now with a $210 payment. But now we're able to pay $400 on it because we take that $190 that we used to pay on everything else plus everything else we can squeeze out of the budget and put it on the $210. So now $400 is going on this $4,000. Where I come from, $400 into $4,000, not counting the interest, 10 months, I'm done with that puppy. You take them one at a time, 
And some people will say to you, well, doesn't it make more sense, you know, to start with the highest interest debt and sort of pay that down first? Doesn't the math make more sense? And my question to you would be, uh, did you use math when you were getting into debt? (laughs) Probably not. So it's better to ignore the math and to start with the smallest one first because this is behavior modification. You, you knock one off at a time and you go from victory to victory until you take all that money you've been making in minimum payments you're putting on just the last one. And guess what? It's fun to be able to get to the end and have it all gone, okay? So downsize your debt. Uh, we need to do all those things. Uh, contentment, cultivate contentment, have a balanced budget, downsize your debt. And then the last thing I want just to talk to you about for a minute is that we need to learn to give generously. Last practice for, for renovating our finances. Generosity is the attitude, or sorry, the antidote. Generosity is the antidote for greed and materialism. You need to sort of write that down. Generosity is the antidote for greed and materialism. A life of greed will undermine your ability to be generous. And in the same way that contentment and greed cannot coexist, so generosity and greed are are at odds as well. Jesus said in Luke 12 and verse 15, he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. It does not, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And so if you want to combat greed and materialism in your life, learn to be generous with what you have. Generous with God, generous with your family, generous with your friends, generous to the poor. Did you know that God does not need your money? He doesn't need it. God has all the money. God has everything. He owns it all. He doesn't need your money, but you need to give so that your heart is directed toward God and so that greed and materialism don't take a hold of your heart. Where your treasure is, remember, your heart is going to follow. Just one caveat, only be generous with what you have. If you go out into the, to the foyer after this service to the information center and you put a big donation to Portico on your credit card that you can't afford to pay already, that's not smart, okay? Be generous with what you have because that unsecured debt is bad for any reason, even to be generous. And if you do that, you're undermining everything that we've been talking about. However, when we're working on renovating our personal finances, we all need to get at some point in the process to a place where we are becoming more generous, generous givers, and intentionally setting money aside from our income to give before we spend anything else. The Bible talks about generosity in many, many places. And it also encourages us to give first to God. It talks about first fruits. We need to approach this idea of generosity from a proper perspective of being a steward of what God has given us rather than an owner of what God has given us, right? God says, this is mine, but I'm giving it to you. And we need to treat it that way. We need to treat it like it's God's. And here's what he says. He says, here's a hundred bucks. All I want back is 10. We talk about the, the benchmark of the tithe, 10%. I think that's a pretty good deal. If I, if I walked up to you and said, here's a hundred dollars. And I said, by the way, would you mind just giving me 10 of that back? You'd still be up 90 bucks, right? Is that a good deal? I think that's a pretty good deal. So we need to learn how to be generous, to give first to God. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. You see, tied to generosity, God 
tied to, to generosity toward God is the promise of God's blessing. Now, we don't give to get. You understand that, right? If we gave to get, what would that be? That would be greedy. That would be improper motivation. It wouldn't be anything that we're talking about. But when we develop a heart and a lifestyle of generosity, there is this amazing connection between that and God's blessing that is just an added bonus for all of us who learn to understand this. And so we, we are blessed when we give. Maybe not monetarily all the time, but blessed in many ways in our lives. And Proverbs says this in chapter 11, verse 24 and 25. It says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. There's an incredible lesson there for the people of God. And I like to understand it this way. You see, if we are stingy and not generous, if we go through life with with closed hands, guess what? Even if God tried to bless us, what happens? God tries to put something in my closed fists. I can't hold on to it, can I? It's like the monkey trying to get the, you know, the thing out of the jar. He gets in there and he closes his hand on the thing and and he can't pull his hand out. But if you open your hand and you turn the jar over and just dump it in, that works pretty good, right? So we need to go through life with open hands. We need to say, God, everything that you've given to me, this is a blessing from you. Whatever you need, you know, you take it back. Whatever others need, I want to be generous. And you know what? If we live life that way, then when God pours out his blessing, we're able to catch it in our open hands. And that's how this works. That's how this works. We are blessed to be a blessing. 2 Corinthians 9 talks about that. I don't have time to read it. Go read the chapter. It talks about sowing and reaping and about the fact that we are blessed so that we can bless others. And so four practices for renovating your finances. Be content. Have a balanced budget. Downsize your debt, eliminate that that unsecured debt, especially that consumer debt, and then learn to give generously. And if we can learn to do that, God's going to help us to to be able to be the kind of, of stewards that he has called us to be. Are you with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. Lord, we pray that, God, it will just uh, help us. It will be, uh, Lord, practical today for those of us who need that kind of instruction. And, Lord, I pray. I pray that no one in this room, God, would feel condemned because of the situation that they find themselves in. That, Lord, if, if they are struggling today in this area of finances, in the area of, of being in debt and stress and anxiety, that, God, you will help them because of today, Lord, to have hope and to seek out the help that they need, God, in order to be able to, to get to where you want them to be as, as the stewards, God, that you have called us to be as, as followers of Jesus Christ. So we commit ourselves to you in a fresh way today. God, we pray that you help us, and we thank you, and we give you praise this morning because you're so worthy of it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.